Producer Dan, how you doing today, buddy? Doing all right. Yourself? Good, good. Back with another episode of EliteBaseball.tv Talk. And I think I got a good one um, for the listeners today. I talked to Travis last night in the cage, and I said, today's topic is going to be each other's top three drills that um, that I've been doing of recent. And you know how drills are, man. They're always cyclical. And you find some that you really get stuck on for a while. And these are, you know, drills are always going to be used individually. And people often ask me, Travis and I both did a, a baseball webinar for the British Baseball Federation this week. And in every podcast and every Zoom presentation, inevitably, like the first question asked is, can you give me your, your best drill, your favorite drill? And I said, I hate to not give you a good answer on this. But in reality, I, I prescribe drills for the hitter. So what is a best drill for one hitter is not going to be the best drill for another hitter. So it's like really prescribing movement, the same way a doctor would prescribe something for a patient. You, you diagnose the issue, and you prescribe the proper uh, remedy for that. But I do have some that I think if I just had to get stuck with, I, I only can do three drills the rest of my life. This is what I'm going to go with. This is what I'm going to start with in today's show. So let's, let's, let's do this in uh, reverse order, starting with like your number three. And we'll okay. do like our number We'll, yeah, do our okay. number we'll, we'll roll it up that way. See, our number twos are our number ones. Going to roll it up that way. So in the epidemic of barrel dumping, I'm going to start with a movement prep drill that I've really, really liked recently. So in our weight room at Elite, like probably most weight rooms around the country, we have bungees, pulleys, et cetera. And so I strap one of your bungees, Travis, up to the top of the rig. So it's probably seven feet in the air, has a clip on it. And then we have, and I'm not even sure what this thing is called because you brought it in. It's, it's the long um, metal pipe that's probably almost the size of a bat, it's probably 30 inches long or so, but in probably the diameter of a bat handle, but it just has um, anchors on either end so we can clip the, the bungee to it. And what, what do you call that thing anyway? Cause I know you use it for a lot of stability in road. I don't have, I don't have an, I don't have a name for it, but yeah. I, I a long pipe with a friggin' hook on the end of it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so what I do is I get into my stance facing away from the rigs. So my back is facing the rig and I'm trying to describe this because I know people are listening and probably not watching this. And so what I feel with the bungee on the end of my pipe, which would be the end of the bat, be the very tip of the barrel of the bat, it's pulling me into external rotation. It's pulling me into barrel dump. And so what I'm trying to do is resist that pulling into barrel dump by keeping the barrel above my hand. So I'm keeping the barrel in an upward position, a tipped up position. And so as I start to slot the bat, it's still trying to pull me into dump and I'm trying to slot it, maintaining a good angle as it's coming into the slot. When I did that, and I was just playing around with it, I felt an immense pressure in my top hand, my top wrist, and my top forearm. And you've heard for ages of hitting coaches, a very old school cue from 30 years ago, have a strong top hand. And I think as I felt that, it resonated that old school cue that uh, really hasn't resonated with me for much of anything, like strong top hand. Well, what the, what the fuck does that mean for, from one hitter to the next? But as it was pulling me into barrel dump, my wrist, forearm, and hand had to resist that movement as I was slotting the bat. So taking that movement prep into my number three favorite drill, it's a bat with a really big heavy handle. So let's say the normal diameter of a bat handle is an inch and a half. This one's probably three and a half inches. And it gives me the same sensation of having to resist barrel dump because of this heavier object in my hands. It's basically like swinging a, if you can picture the barrel of a bat, like you're swinging the barrel of a bat, but the barrel of the bat is just extended the whole way down. So there is no handle. It's just one long barrel. Um, and by swinging that, I feel the same sensation of a lot of weight in the handle of this bat 
that's trying to pull me into external rotation, but I have to force it to stay up. And it's just an external cue of getting me to feel swinging a bat, but maintaining the integrity of my angle without getting into early barrel dump. In the early barrel dump, we've covered this on a number of shows briefly and sometimes in, in longer cases. I still believe that a lot of the barrel dumping is caused by a false sense of security about by not training in um, tough enough conditions. So not training against velocity. And when you're doing just front toss, you can have the outcome of the swing be what you want it to be. I might hit a line drive or hit a ball hard in the air, but I had way more time to do it and didn't even realize I was barrel dumping because I was just training under very soft conditions. So number three, it's any feeling of a object pulling me into external rotation, my top hand having to work harder to keep the barrel, keep barrel integrity without getting it into a dump. First with movement prep, and the bungee cord with the long pipe, and second, a fat handled bat. That's my nice. Name. I like it. I like that. I like to use the uh, I like to use the pipe in the um, weight room as some prep time too. And a lot of times, I'll hook the bungee up to the bottom end of it, so basically, it would be like the knob side of it um, to feel directionality. So again, like just the feel of being able to take the bottom portion that's being pulled. Um, from behind and being able to turn that direction, making sure that movement's going forward. And I think the good part about that too, if you haven't messed around with that, is try it on that end one time. Because once you start to move that forward, the pressure from the band makes the end of the barrel, of, I guess this pipe, feel like it wants to shoot backwards as you pull this movement forward. So you get a, you get a similar kind of feel there as well, but it allows you to go probably a little bit farther into your first move. Because when you have it at the top end, you're going to only be able to move a little bit because of how much strain is that far away. So I think both of those serve a really good purpose as as prep field work. Um, if people haven't done that before, trying to give that a shot in some in some way. Um, I've done in limited environments with like without a without having a pipe. I've done the bottom end before by just taking uh, J bands and hooking them up um, to the bottom of the bat, uh, which allows you what to, which allows you then to put your hands over the J bands and still have that pressure without having this pipe at your disposal. If you're doing that at home. Um, so my number three, I, honestly, like, as I go, I sat about, I sat and thought about this last night after we talked and I was like, all right, man, if I could only have three go-to drills, cause again, like to reiterate your point, it's such a crazy thought because you're just like, well, it, who's in? Who's coming in? Like, what drill am I going to pick for? Because everybody needs something different. But with number three, I'm coming in with my one of my probably new favorite ones, um, which is our overload bat. Um, so our overload bat is a 37-inch, 40-ounce bat. And the majority of the weight is obviously end loaded um and because the end of the bat is farther away than the normal length of the bat you can definitely feel the weight of the bat and the reason why i like this bat is that it makes people have to be really aware of where their barrel is and when they're releasing the weight of the barrel so when you've got an object that's got weight farther from you and it weighs more than what you're traditionally swinging after your first swing or so, you become very aware of where that weight is. So if I'm doing, a, let's say, a barrel dump, if I was a barrel dump guy and I've got a 37-inch bat with a 40-ounce weight and I start to dump the barrel early, the momentum and weight of that, of that bat is going to make it very difficult for me to redirect in direction. Meaning, like, if I'm trying to hit a ball, let's say, even middle to middle up um, on a flip, or T or whatever you're using in this disposal, it's very hard to redirect that weight. So it makes you very aware of creating good directionality early and then being able to turn the barrel late where you're basically being able to capture the momentum of your direction. And that goes back into forever. It was the debate of, are we trying to speed the barrel up early or are we trying to speed the barrel up late? And by all accords in reality, either way, it takes time, number one, to speed something up. 
and it's not going to benefit you to speed something up when it's not going in the right direction. So the first idea would be create some sort of direction and then allow for speed to be generated. So this heavier, longer bat does that. So it usually starts with me leading into my visual, my visual thought for understanding barrel release that I try to give kids is you're not releasing the bat to go full speed, the barrel to go full speed away from the body until the barrel has a clear sight of the baseball. Meaning, and again, a lot of you guys That's are watching. That's a really good point, man. I've, a lot of you guys, are, lot of you guys are, lot of you guys are listening and not watching. But it would be the thought of like, if I'm turning and I've got, if I've got the bat in my hands, as I'm turning here, the barrel still is not visible to the ball, so I'm not going to release the barrel here. I'm going to continue to turn, and then once the barrel is visible, bang, there I'm releasing the barrel. So on an inside pitch, if we're, if you're imagining an inside pitch, I would have to turn farther until I can clear the barrel to then release the barrel. And on an away pitch, if the ball is farther away from me, I don't have to turn as far until the barrel can see the ball. So on an away pitch, we typically tell guys or have guys or told guys to think, let it travel. And in reality, the only reason we're letting it come closer to us is because we're gonna release the barrel sooner. Sure, yeah. So if we're gonna release the barrel sooner, we can't, let, we can't try to work out in front as much on an away pitch. So not to hijack your drill, I'll let you keep going on that. And that's the downside of players that turn, especially young players that turn really fast, but aren't very strong is because they cannot control keeping the barrel hinged longer. Like as soon as they start to turn fast, that's the, the downside of your really fast turners, man. They like, they cannot control, we'll call it the integrity again. And now they hinge because it wants to work out away from them. And that's the majority. That's the majority of it. I mean, that's basically how I set it up. I explained to them just understanding if they can get around the corner and have a free shot with the barrel, the weight and length of that barrel won't feel like it is as heavy as in their hands. When they first hold the bat, the first thought is like, oh my gosh, how am I going to swing this? And usually the first swing is a little bit like not great because they're just, they're, they are releasing the barrel at the wrong time and it becomes very difficult for them to then control it to the ball or to have any kind of speed to the ball because they've released early and the rest of it's basically just trying to manipulate pulling the barrel back into a line of the ball so coming in at number three is a overload bat it's our Birdman bat that is a custom 37 inch 40 ounce bat um have I had a probably six four, two hundred and forty pound guy swing that bat who has a push pattern. He could not get that barrel up to speed. Like he he felt like I cannot swing this thing. This thing is just using me right now. So it, it's interesting how you know both of those things can be cured by that external feel of of the, the heavy bat, heavy barrel. And going along with that, you saying like you don't feel the weight of that bat necessarily as much if you have a good swing pattern, which is why if I'm a college player, professional player, hopefully in a, in a decent swing pattern by that point, I feel like players in our industry swing way too small and too light of bats. I would, I would a hundred percent agree with that. In fact, um, we took all the 33-inch bats out of the professional clubhouse, and they will never be allowed back in again. Like, the minimum size you can use is a 33 and a half. Um, but I do feel – and I've been encouraging several people that all have gone up at least a half an inch with a bat. Like, dude, you can swing a bigger bat. Your swing mechanics are going to allow – you're not even going to feel this. Now, if you, you're out of whack, and generally this is players out of sequence or they – they do lose the barrel out away from them early or, or dump it. You're going to feel that way. But if you're in a good swing pattern, swing as big a bat as you can um, without it being detrimental to your mechanics. And you'd be surprised how big of a bat that you can swing and, and get a lot more out of it. Remember, the, the ball only knows the linear velocity of the, and the mass of the object striking it. So which there is, is benefit to the bigger bat. Which is also as we understand kind of how that works, like moving 
moving slower is going to allow you to be more accurate. So part of the benefit too, is that you're using something that's got more mass, uh, more length that you don't have to generate the same bat speed as you would with a lighter, shorter bat to create the same amount of damage, which allows you, which allows you to have more feel for just basically getting to the back of the ball. Like just and automatically just the physics properties of a longer bat is going to give you more linear velocity, even if you're not moving it as fast, there's a trade off there. Certainly, like if you move too slow, um, yeah, you're going to lose some linear velocity. But the length of the bat, the length of the spoke is going to give you more linear velocity. So, yeah, agreed there. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head to number two now. And this, two is an external um, bat that I developed with Birdman. And I'm sure there's other companies that make this bat. But anybody that's done short bat work, I always hated the feel of doing short bat work. Uh, generally because the bats were always way too light. It's like, it was like using a like little kid's bat. And then they pick their normal bat up again and they take like three swings and they're all out of whack because the weight is just so different. So I said, why has nobody, and maybe again, maybe other companies have done this, but I just approached a company and said, can you make this for me? So why hasn't companies made short bats that have the same weight and characteristics of a normal bat? So I think, I, I can't remember the exact spec on it. What, uh, length it is and maybe you remember travis i don't know it might be 27 or 28 inches but it's 20, i think it's 27 33 31 and a half i think something like that yeah yeah 31 and a half ounces so it's a short bat but it's a it's a short realistic weight bat and that, the short bat is one piece of it but the the drill that i like with this is called short bat short finish and so what i'm trying to do you're forcing a two-handed finish and not that i a player has to have a two-handed finish. I'm not saying that. But because of the short finish, I'm trying to stop my swing. Um, trying to describe this so you can not see me and, and understand it. Without the bat going around the backside of my back. Right? So I'm going to finish my swing um, st still in front of me. Let's just say that. So the bat finishes in front of your chest. I definitely get through contact. I definitely get through extension. And as the bat starts to go over my shoulder, it stops abruptly. So sh short bat, short finish. I like this. Number one, the, the reason it works is deceleration. It's forcing the player to decelerate. It is outstanding for a lot of, especially amateur hitters, a lot of guys that over-rotate to the pull side. So next, number two, as you can, you can see from that, from decel, you create better direction. So it is a directional drill that if you do get over-rotational to the pull side, one, you're probably going to clip a lot of the balls and foul them off or not hit them well. And it forces, because of the short bat, to stay directional in the front of the zone. So I'm staying directional in a bigger timing window, in a bigger hitting window, through the pitcher. But working on two things at the same time, which are certainly interconnected, decel and direction are very interconnected. And decels, we've mentioned on previous shows, also can reduce the time to impact and increase your bat speed for the fact that we're, we're sending energy to segments quicker. We're shutting energy down from a previous segment, sending it on to a segment up the chain. So both of those things have a benefit of reducing time to impact and increasing your bat speed. But I've had a lot of success with the short bat, short finish drill, especially for players that lose direction due to poor decel and over rotate to the pull side. Well, yesterday was actually the first day that I used that bat because it's the first time I've seen it in the facility. And I was like, oh, what's I've been this? I, I was like, what, I'm like, I'm like, what's this? And I'm like, this is awesome. And I just, I picked it up and I started moving with it. And it's I should have put my name on that, right? Damn, that's a money-making opportunity right there. The first time I've seen it, I grabbed it and I just started like swinging it. It's just, you know, natural habit, like something new. It's like, all right, let me just see what this thing feels like. And it's funny because... I naturally went to a short finish, like a three-quarter finish or like a Mike Trout finish. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Mike Trout, Jose Abreu type finish. Yeah, I, I immediately went to that finish without even thinking like whatever. That's just – it almost felt right to move like that with it. And it was actually kind of funny that you brought that up. Now, the irony here I think is actually getting pretty funny. Um, 
so as Justin was leaving our facility last night is when I was eating with the kid and he goes, he was just, he was walking through and he goes, man, he goes, looks like he's tightened up his moves pretty good. Cause I had a loose mover in and he hadn't seen the guy swing in a while. And then he had just brought up like, Hey, you know, I've been doing this to try to take slack out of people's body a little bit back in the, back in the weight room and doing this and like manual, basically manually controlling um, the obliques and rectors. And he goes, that's what we should talk about tomorrow. This is how, this is how late we wait to think about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, and, it's, it's supposed to be just like fly by the seat of your pants. Like, I don't know what you're going to talk about. You don't know what I'm going to talk about, but it, it ends up being good baseball talk. I think it's funny. Cause I think a lot of people probably just think that we're just saying that kind of stuff. But like last night he had said that. And then he, he goes, perfect. That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Let's talk about our three favorite like go-to drills if we had to go to drills. And then he just walks out of the building. So I had <laughs> no idea. As you would say, producer Dan, Ellis has left the building, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we, have, we have not talked whatsoever about what these drills are, which is why I was like, let's just do the reverse, like three, two to our number one, like go-to. My number two is basically the same thought. Uh, my number two is a split grip. Um, check swing progression. Um, I love the I love the split grip check swing progression because of the deceleration properties, because of the directionality properties, and because of the connectivity properties, and because of the sequencing properties. If you're doing a split grip check swing and you are doing it at full speed for what your body will allow you to do, it is incredibly difficult to be out of sequence, disconnected, or to lose essential directionality. Because the brain's immediate thought is going to be going to, I have to be able to shut this down, but I have to get to full speed. So it's gonna eliminate a lot of false directions because you're not gonna be able to get up to speed in a short window. It's going to lead, it's going to take away a lot of those disconnections of losing the barrel, because if you lose the barrel and you try to do a check swing, you're not going to be able to stop the barrel. Even with a split grip, it's going to be incredibly difficult to stop the barrel with a split grip check swing. So in my progression, I typically will start out with PVC. I like to use PVC early in the split grip simply because it gives you a different feel. You you can elicit people to make sure that they're being accountable for how fast they're going simply because with the PVC, because it is lighter and thinner, you're going to typically hear more of a, a whoosh sound from the PVC. if You're moving it fast enough. Plus you're going to, when you put the brakes on typically with, we're using typically a six foot or five foot, sorry, five foot piece of PVC. You're typically going to see the PVC bend the opposite direction. So when, when the, when the wrists and hands break and stop, the PVC will continue to go. So you'll see it kind of go past their hands before it comes back. Um, so we'll start with a, what I would call like a 90 degree. So 90 degrees basically go to contact and shut down as rapidly after where you feel like contact would be. So basically how rapidly can you stop after contact? Um, and we'll typically start without any kind of object that we're hitting. It'll just be simply as fast as you can go shut down at that point then transition that kind of into like what you're doing with the, with the short overweighted um, bat, which would be like our half finish our 180 or our kind of Mike Trout finish. Um, and then we'll go, I'll have guys go as far as they can essentially before they roll over. So sometimes that's, sometimes that is 180 for guys. Sometimes it's a little bit more than 180 and then eventually we'll transition that into a bat once they have kind of the feel for the, for the speed and what their body can manage, we'll transition that into a bat with a split grip and go through the same progression, 90s and 180s typically. And then we'll then introduce a ball moving at them. And the reason I like a ball moving at them with the split grip is it also elicits way more awareness of timing. So if I'm only allowed to speed up and shut down within let's say 90 degrees, which is basically contact, and I tell guys, as they're hitting the ball on this split grip um, check swing, I want them to hit the ball as hard as they physically can, which means you're 
you're still going to be accountable for going full speed to basically impact before you're trying to shut down immediately after. But knowing that, that I only have 90 degrees to be able to get to full speed and shut down, I have to begin to launch to the ball correctly or A, I'm going to have to like shift my body forward to try to make it look like I have only going 90 degrees, which would be a poor timing mechanism. Or I'm going to have to go slow into impact because I'm going to run out of space and I'm going to have to slow down to impact the ball. So I like it for the timing aspect once we get a ball moving because it only gives you a small window to get up to full speed and shut down. So you have to be able to begin at the right time to maximize that feel. So my number two is going to be a similar thing because it, it elicits decel, direction, connectivity, a bunch of different things. Probably really was a tough call not to put it my number one. Um, but split grip and we do split grip just so for you at home, we do split grip. So we reduce the strain on wrists and hands when we're trying to stop something. So my typical, my typical, um, setup for that is about one hand length. Um, for, for, for people that are having an issue breaking, I'll have them have more space. So basically imagine one hand length in between where your normal grip would be one fist length is about the distance that we go. Unless again, somebody's really having a hard time um, being able to break, then I'll, I'll widen that space a little bit and make it more of like a hockey shot where it's a little bit easier to, to decel and, and take some strain off the, the wrists and the hands. Nice. That's a great movement prep drill sequence that we start with in a lot of our classes, lessons, et cetera. And it's applicable to any age player for certain. And we, we've talked about the PVC progression how we joke when players, especially professional players that haven't done it before, how poor they are at it because they don't, their brain just doesn't know how good their breaking system is because that's essentially what you're testing with that drill. And then of course, improving. All right. So we're to my number one, huh? Uh-oh. Yeah. It's again, it's, it's weird how these drills come back. And I, this is, I, I think back to the first hitting DVD I made, uh, made by myself. As you know, we were going out on the, the speaking circuit probably 12 to 15 years ago. And I think probably my first hitting DVD, maybe 12 years ago. And this drill was on there. And I did it. I only did it with advanced players. I didn't do it with kids because kids were terrible at it. And I did this drill with advanced players to simulate the cutter, which – and this would be like a right-on-right -right cutter, where occasionally players would run out of bat. So if you're losing direction off to the pull side, you're fouling this ball off or missing it completely. Now I do it for a different reason, but it's, it's weird how these drills come back. Um, and I'm sure other people have done this drill in the past too, but at the time I thought I was being very, very innovative and it's angle toss or angle machine. And this, if I had one drill that I had to do the rest of my life and only one drill, this one would be it angle toss or angle machine work. And I would do toss before machine, but it, I would certainly do them both. And the reason why I like this, and if you, if you haven't done it before, don't know what I'm talking about. I set the L screen or the machine up at an angle that's really behind the player, uh, behind his front hip. And I'm going to toss it, and it's not a 45 degree angle by any stretch, but it's, you're probably talking 20, 25 degrees. And I'm throwing this ball across them to the outside corner. And it's going to clip the outside corner and keep going to the edge of the outside batter's box. And what I ask the hitter to do is hit this ball into the opposite field corner of the cage. So that would be for a right-handed hitter, just off center to center field, slightly right center, if you're hitting it back to the corner of the cage. And the reason I, I like this so much, again, with truly with more advanced players, because the thing I – we work on the most with advanced players are angles and direction angles being make sure that my uh, plainness of my swing is appropriate staying on plane for as long as we can as well as maintaining direction and hitting in the big window for as long as we can those are the two things i work on most with advanced athletes angles and direction with the angle toss or angle machine the integrity i use that word a couple times today of your direction has to be maintained. And there's a lot of pieces that go into this. One, I have to slot the bat correctly for that to happen. If I slot the bat incorrectly, going back to the drill that you said with the very long heavy bat, Travis, if I lose the barrel or make some false 
move, there's going to be a compensating move to the front side of the swing. So if I lose the barrel behind me early or I make a false move early and inappropriate move early, really where that costs me time and distance is on the front of the zone because you're going to be making a compensating move to get the barrel directed back to the ball, but it's going to keep going and slide off their front hip. So you can't do that here. So number one, I got to slot the bat correctly. Number two, I've got to maintain my direction, my line through the baseball, which means I have to force myself to decept. So when I do this drill, oftentimes hitters will have a naturally shorter finish. And what I say is don't let your belly button get back to the pitcher. I say, I want you to shut your belly button down into that same corner. And sometimes I'll even put a PVC pipe on the ground on home plate, extending out towards the pitcher, but on this same line. So imagine a PVC, this white line being from home plate into this right center corner of the cage. I say, I want your barrel and your belly button to stay on this line. So essentially what I'm forcing them to do is shut, shut or decel down sooner. Two, number three, give me appropriate direction. You can't have appropriate direction without good decel. So it's combining all these properties that we've just talked about into a drill that gives the player really good external feedback. I'm the, I say, let the ball be your messenger. The ball is going to give you the feedback. If they do this inappropriately, the um, biggest result you'll see is they will foul the ball off into the opposite corner of the cage. So if I'm a right-handed hitter, it's going to foul off across the left-handed batter's box into the corner of the cage. That means they're losing their direction. But I said, let the ball be your feedback. If you can get the ball on this line, and it requires a, a really good tosser too. Um, you can do it underhand. I tend to do this one like short overhand. So I put a little velo on it. Uh, and I certainly want velo with the machine. But let the ball be your messenger. The ball will tell you if you're maintaining your line and staying through the ball. Proper decel has to happen. Proper slotting action has to happen. It's, it's basically telling us everything about our swing by the feedback of the ball, which is why I think it's such a good drill. And if I only had one to do on a deserted island to build a hitter, this would be the one I would do. Uh, I'm going to give a, I'm going to give a shout out to, uh, one of our former interns that's back with us doing work now, Christian Paulson. So after work last night, we were sitting down him, me and, and one of our other guys, Dan, and having a couple adult beers, adult beers. Adult. Are, are there kid beers? Adult. <laughs> Yeah, root beer. There's root beer. Oh, root beer, okay. <laughs> um, and we just we 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 tend we we've been meeting just like Wednesday nights and just talking a little bit of shop after after work and um as we were as we were going, I was like talking about what our our podcast was gonna be. I was like, what here's what the podcast is on tomorrow. What 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 do you guys got on like what's your what's your thought on your drill? And his response was quick, and and it was immediately angled toss. That was uh, Christian. Yeah, and I was like, "All right." Christian, by the way, was a uh, employee for the the Blue Jays last year. Is one of their tech dev coaches that interned for us for a couple of years. Yeah. So it was, and when he said that, honestly, like I probably don't do that drill as much as I probably need to. I think you know sometimes again we get we get caught in some kind sometimes like cycles of no doubt no doubt what we do you know as he said that i was like man you know i do it a little bit but i probably don't do that as much as i need to with the with the with the players that are ready for that drill because it is a very difficult drill and if you're just trying to throw that on somebody that doesn't have an understanding of how to move it's it's going to be it's going to be a nightmare of a drill. Yeah, like there's a lot of swing and miss, a lot of foul balls. Yeah, a bunch of filleted balls, a bunch yeah. of just across the hip, hit back at you. Like, um, But I like that drill. It's definitely a – I can see why that's your number one drill. Um, so mine is mine – is, mine is a foot-down drill. Um, my number one, if I could only do one thing – and this to me is probably a little bit more universal because this drill in my mind, what it's doing is it's forcing a player to learn how to move his pelvis correctly. So the majority of players that I get, um, even I mean at every level, essentially 
they're always told to rotate their hips and a lot of them rotate their hips incorrectly. And people are going to be like, what do you mean you rotated your hips incorrectly? Well, there's different ways to move. Like you're getting a lot of guys, what they do is they end up taking away space from their upper body and losing balance and stability because their lead hip will become kind of their anchor point and the backside will just swing around the front hip versus rotating from the pelvis where the hips are going to be moving in opposite directions as it allows the pelvis to stay center. And what happens is a lot of, a lot of bad things come from that. Number one, your upper body control is going to be highly predicated upon the fact that you have stability and balance below it. So once we lose, once we lose posture, stability from the lower half, the upper body has to compensate to be able to manage that, which is going to lead to most of the time a change in, in direction of the plane. So my plane might start one way, I lose balance, my body compensates, the plane immediately shifts, which in that case is typically going to be under plane, whether the athlete stands up and goes under plane or whether the athlete falls down and goes under plane, it typically ends up in an under plane swing. Um, and real high, typically like vertical bat angle, like a beyond excessive, which is going to lead to a lot of clipping of the ball, missing of the ball when, when you aren't barreling it up. Um, so setting it up, I typically just have an athlete do a movement before I have them swing with it because it is a different feel when you aren't able to release essentially your back foot. Um, and I have them stand there and I have them try to figure out how much range of motion, how much turn can you create without allowing your feet to come off the ground and move. And you'll see some people that are like, I don't, I can't, I can't get around this corner. Like a lot of that becomes then, you know, even disassociation and that, that ability to move your lower body away from your upper body, but I'll have them just move and they'll be surprised how far they can turn. And we'll have a conversation like, you know, how, how much of the swing do you feel like you're, your, your pelvis, your hips actually contribute to the speed of your swing. And I tell them it's a very short amount. It's probably way less than you think. That doesn't mean that your hips won't turn farther, but they're only going to contribute for a very short portion of the swing before it passes energy up to essentially the upper body. So that means that the lower body has to be in a really good position to do its job and maintain stability, which is still in my opinion, what the legs are for, they're for stability. And the foot down, the foot down drill is going to, is going to force them into that position. Um, so we'll start with them just feeling it through. Then we'll add, you know, the swing to that position, um, starting slow, letting them move. And then as they kind of feel comfortable going a little bit quicker with it, then we'll add a step into that. So I'll actually have them go from their stance into a step immediately into a swing. So basically we're now taking into a fluid movement, but still keeping both feet stable. So basically once they land from that step, they've got to keep both their feet still flat on the ground for the entirety of their swing. Um, I have seen, I have seen people, and it, I, I, I've got a lot of hitters that we've had discussions on them hitting with that or a version of that in a game. And we've had discussions about them hitting like that in, in their mind to strike approach. Um, the quality of, of body control when the pelvis has to stay stable and the feet have to stay on the ground. Cause even just your awareness of what it's going to take weight wise to keep your feet from moving is going to be what your stability is leads to so much better control of the upper body, which leads to better control of the arc of the swing which is going to lead to better barrel control and ultimately strike striking the ball more consistent that I've seen guys that will miss hit 10, 15 balls off of a shorter, slightly firm overhand toss. And I'll go, Hey man, go back to feet down. And they'll just go barrel, 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 barrel. And then I'm like, all right. And they're like, well, can I go back to my, my swing? And in my mind, I'm like, that is kind of your swing. Like your swing is just going to be a, a slightly different version of that. Like maybe you end up with a little bit of a kickback. Maybe you end up with, you know, something more like a, a Nolan Arenado where his, his ankle just kind of rolls in on a lot of his swings. And I'm not saying that that is the, you know, what they need to go to, but it's going to be a version of that where they understand 
that the control of their pelvis is going to directly relate to how well they control their upper body and control their back. So coming in at my number one, if I could only do one thing with anybody would be, would be that. And honestly, this is a, this is a tough list. Like, yeah, that, like, that would certainly be honorable mention on, mention on my, that's a great drill. And I, I like, I haven't done that with adding a stride into it, but doing the same thing. I, I really like you doing that. I was thinking as you were talking, such a good drill. Um, watching Tommy work out in the off season when he was, uh, he would work out in LaGrange suburbs and he'd never, and this is towards the end of his career, he would never hit very long. He'd be like, you know, 25 minutes max. He would do that drill for 20 of the 25 minutes, yep. different versions of it. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's a, I mean, such good direction too, with that drill at the, at the end. Um, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking about that is that it just sh- goes to show you how much true rotation, the thought of rotation of the hips forces players out of some really good positions. And so I, I hate to use the word rotation as much. And I wrote this down as you were talking, squeezing the pelvis. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this here and um, kind of the, the biomechanics behind it. So when you're talking about the legs being stability, so I'm going to start with the front leg. When I get my front leg into the ground in this drill, or hopefully in a, in a normal swing too, I'm getting into heel plant to become a very stable unit. Once my front leg gets into heel plant and becomes a very stable unit, what is going to create that stability, and this happens all at one time, but I'm going to start with, with this muscle, is my left glute is turning on and flexing. When it flexes it, to withstand this uh, um, energy that's going to come against it, it's squeezing the pelvis. The other th- piece that's squeezing the pelvis, that's going to feel a lot of pressure against it because my legs are essentially working against each other right here. It are, is my, so I'm a right-handed hitter, my left adductor. So I've got the glute and the adductor squeezing as now my right side is doing the same thing. My glute is squeezing the pelvis. My right adductor is squeezing the pelvis. And I have this push against it that contracts the muscles around the pelvis as tightly as possible, which is why when you do this foot down drill, where you are going to feel that when you actually keep your back heel down is going to be for a right-handed hitter, your right adductor. You're going to feel this a lot in your groin. And the reason is that back heel is keeping the right adductor from completely grabbing onto the pelvis. It's saying, I'm trying to get there, but my back foot isn't, isn't letting me, which is why the back heel will typically still come off the ground when you're trying to keep it down. It's like, you're, I want you to keep it down. You're probably not going to be able to do it. Cause that right adductor is really strong. It's going to pull the heel off of the ground. But I really think of that action of what ends up being rotation for hitters correctly is more as just grabbing the pelvis, making it extremely stable, squeezing both sides, both legs against one another, which ends up in correct rotation versus a more relaxed movement of the pelvis, which ends up being the spin out. And that, that's kind of hard to describe that. I mean, I wouldn't ever ask a hitter necessarily to, hey, did you feel your left adductor squeeze your pelvis right there? But being the geeks that we are, when I've done that drill, I really understand the mechanics of how the muscles grab the pelvis and actually put it into a good pattern. Did you stay with me there or did I just go completely off? You, had, you, you, had, you I mean, I get it. I, I mean, <laughs> if, people, if people, like, not everybody, not everybody's going to know exactly what their and where their adductor is but it's not again like this is one of those things like if we had like unlimited time you could sit and explain and everything and draw diagrams and show pictures of where it is like if people want to know where it is it's easy enough to find at this point anyways like jump online and type in you know hip adductor and you're gonna be able to figure out where it is and you gave a pretty good description of what its responsibility is um but yeah i mean you know i think going through these lists it's it's funny to just kind of think about things we value and i think about like what i left off the list um and like you know beyond beyond that is going to be why i left some of the stuff off the list is just simply some people are gonna have a harder time being able to mimic it in certain situations would be one obviously like high velo um so you know not everybody's gonna be able to throw a baseball exceedingly hard 
or hard and accurate or have, you know, access to a machine that's going to be able to throw high velo. Um, but high velo to me is like honorable mention from the standpoint of it would possibly be on my list. Um, if it was easier for everybody to have access to do something like that. Um, but you know, high velo exposes so many faults that you can't bring out in a controlled toss T flip situation. Um, and I, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine most people could disagree with that because realistically you're, you're, you're trying to get to a point where in my mind that your practice is harder than the game, where when you start feeling comfortable managing higher velo, not feeling like you have to rush and be beat and you figured out how to take out some of the little disconnections in your swing to be able to get there on time. And then you get in the game and that velo seems considerably much more manageable because you've had time to figure out those holes versus staying slower in practice than getting in the game and realizing you have air, you have holes in your swing, but now it's too late because I'm in the game and I'm in panic mode trying to cheat, trying to get to a ball. And then some guy throws me, even at a youth age, just a terrible breaking ball. But it's like the nastiest thing ever to me because I'm so out of it trying to chase that fastball speed. So high, high velo is definitely, like for me, like high honorable mention of like has to be on – on the radar for anybody trying to really transition what you're doing in your training to, to a game. Yeah, that, that's great. I'm glad you said that. That's the ultimate test, right? And if anybody wants to know how much is too much, been doing high velo with, with guys in the morning right now um, as they're preparing for different minor league camps. And I know too much is too much when they lose the look of being very comfortable against it. So I will start them. Typically I'll go 85. Um, kind of the progression we've been going just because the, the way the machine set up is 85, 89, 94, 99, 102. And I, like, I don't get 102 the, like the first day, but it's like, man, you were really comfortable on 99 right there. That, like nothing changed. You're moving, really what we're talking about is the tempo typically and the smoothness of it and not trying to fight velocity with energy. Uh, that's usually what happens is guys feel like, oh shit, I gotta get in. I gotta get to this ball and they get amped up and it just kills the pattern. But I've had guys recently like look very comfortable off 102. That's like, man, you're in a really good spot right there. That's, that's the ultimate test. Yeah, what I do too, like with, um, with our machine in there is I'll start it, depending on the age, let's say I'm starting it at 75. You know, let's say I've got like a, 13 year old kid in there, you know, advanced 13 year old kid, obviously if we're starting at 75, but we'll start at 75 and I'm like, Hey, we're going to just, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to jump on and go here. And I'll tell them that when it's at 75, I'll tell them it's at 70. I'm like, all right, we're, we're going at 70, but the machine's at 75. And I'll let them kind of take their first five, six swings and get adjusted to it. And once they start, once they start finding their rhythm, they start barreling balls. I will turn the machine up, but I won't tell them I'm turning the machine up. And if they ask, like, if they're like, oh, that one looks quicker. Otherwise, if they're just, if they're hitting and they just keep hitting it, let's say I turn it up to 80 and they're just hitting it, I don't say a word. I just let them hit, just let them think they're still hitting 70. If they ask, oh, like, that one looks faster. Is it, did you move it up? Like, uh, yeah, I turned it up a little bit. It's like 73, 74 now. And in their mind, like, all right, well, I hit 70. I should be able to do this. And I, I do it a lot of times too, because I think a lot of guys, as soon as you tell them how fast it's coming, they immediately go into panic mode. Like, oh my gosh, like this is this fast. I got the other day, I got to with, with a, it was a 13 year old. I got up to 90 with him. And at that point he started clipping, he was clipping the ball. It wasn't, he wasn't barreling it, but he's clipping the ball. And he thought it was at 80 and he was so jacked up <laughs> that he was, that he was clipping 80 at 13. Like he's like, man, I'm right there, man. He's like, I feel like I'm right there. Like I'm, I'm close. Like I'm going to be able to get this. I'm like, why don't you walk back over here? I had him walk around the back of the machine. He looks at it and goes, wait, that says 90. I said, yeah. Now, if I would have started out, I don't know. What's that? Were you using the turret? Yes. Pictures of this machine that's six foot tall and about two and a half feet, three feet wide. Uh, like, man, you're on 102s. Like, this machine will go 150 and still hold the spin values of a, of a machine. It's absolutely yeah. crazy. 
But I like doing that too with Velo where I, I undersell what it is and I just let them feel like, oh, even, even for guys like, well, I should be able to manage this. And it's like, it might be 85. And I'm like, well, it's 75. You got to be able to manage this this year. And they go in and like, they feel like they're supposed to hit it. And they are able to do more because they feel like they're supposed to do it. Now I've had guys that's gone the other way and I'll, I'll dial it back down a little bit. Like they feel like they're getting beat too much. Like you said, you know, that moment when it's like, man, like you're, you look like you're in panic mode. You're rushing, your, your tempo's breaking down. Your, your stride is literally taking 0.0001, you know, milliseconds. Cause you're just like up, down, up, down. Like, up, up. And then you're like, all right, that's, that's we're beyond what you're comfortable doing right now. Like I might let them sit there for a couple and just see if they can make any kind of adjustments on their own before we obviously either talk or we dial it back down a little bit, but high velo, definitely high, high mention. Um, I would definitely put the angle toss on my high mention. Um, again, like, you know, probably something I haven't utilized as much as I probably should. Um, again, like, man, like there's just so much, you know, like there's so many things always going on in my head as I'm watching people hit that it's like, Oh, let's go here. And then it's like, Oh, you know what? I should have done that. And then like, you, you like bookmark it. Like, all right, next time they come in, like, I'm going to get some of this done, you know, and then they come in and you ask them like, Hey, what do you need today? Like, what, what, you know, what you've been feeling, what do you need? And then they, they give you a response. And then where you were thinking you want to take it, you all of a sudden take it somewhere else because they're telling you that they're, you know, feeling uncomfortable with, you know, breaking balls. You're like, all right, well, let's, let's get you seeing some spin today. Let's work on having some outs and some adjustability on something off speed. And then you go away from that thought again. And the next thing you know, it's, you know, it's been a, been a month and you haven't gotten back to doing what, you, doing what you intended to do with them and be like you know it's not it's not like you're not getting work in it's just you had certain plans and those plans changed based off of you know your your student your client your ever-changing environment no doubt. Yeah. So. well thanks for joining us today producer dan we'll, we'll hold off on don't be that guy for next till next week's show since we've already gone 50 minutes here today and that's probably all anybody wants to hear travis is a nice voice um, did you have a good don't be that guy this week no actually i was just going to come up with one on the fly so i'm glad that uh, we're going to postpone this one <laughs> next week. Another week to figure that out all right thanks everybody for listening to the show you can find us on spotify apple itunes i don't even know why i mentioned that because if you're listening to me now you have found us but spread the cheer everyone see ya